But good to be back here, and what a wonderful day of worship this has already been. Uh, my heart is just touched, and thank you for that wonderful song. Boy, what a, what a wonderful song and uh, rich words that was, and uh, you could have the invitation now. So that was a blessing. But I'm glad to be back with you. I wish my family was here, um, but they're back in Indiana. Our new home church is Valparaiso, Indiana, just about, about an hour south of Chicago. I, I pastored in the Chicago area for almost 14 years, 13 and a half years, and then the Lord called us to step out by faith um, back in 2021, and God has been open doors ever since. And so the Lord has been filling up our, our year with meetings. We finished one full calendar year traveling and uh, I didn't know how God would do it that first year, but he did it, and he kept us busy and kept us uh, on the road. Uh, we were on the road quite a bit, and this year is looking like it's shaping up as well. So pray for us. Pray for God, God's blessing and safety as we travel, as we go round about. If you don't know what evangelism is like, just ask your pastor. He did it for years, and uh, now we're just getting started. But it's exciting. It's an adventure. Our family is enjoying it. Uh, we spent this past week um, recording a puppet show, and so I spent a lot of weeks writing a little puppet script, and now our, our kids are excited about working on that, and, and uh, so while I'm preaching, my wife and the kids are doing kids ministry, and we're just having so much fun ministering and serving the Lord together, uh, but I'll tell you what, it's been an adventure of faith, and that's what we're going to look at here this morning, and so go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. You can't get any more basic or more important than the subject of faith. Luke chapter 17. As you turn there, I can't tell the whole story now for time's sake, but as God began to lead me and my wife to face a big decision as to whether God was leading us or not to leave our church where we pastored, and, and it was going well. In fact, it was at a point where I really should have stayed. I could have stayed and just kept on going. Uh, the Lord was blessing us and strengthening the, the church, but God really burdened my heart that it was time to pass it off and to step out by faith into evangelism. Uh, that's what I felt the Lord had called me to in the beginning. And then the Lord allowed me to pastor first. I'm, I'm thankful for his wisdom, and he knows how to direct our, our paths. Uh, but now is the time to make the decision. And uh, I'll tell you what, walking by faith is exciting, but it's also terrifying, <laughs> potentially terrifying. And you work through a lot of emotions, and you want to make sure that your heart's right and that you're not crazy, or at least if you are crazy, it's a good kind of crazy. You know, sometimes the Lord has you do things that seem crazy, but if God's in it, you have to pray and get counsel, and ultimately, you got to step out, and God led us through all of that, but in that journey, and all this past year, I kept on praying a simple prayer that I knew was in the Bible, there's several prayers in the Bible, but a short little prayer, I knew it was in there somewhere. I'd read it many times, but the prayer goes like this, Lord, increase our faith because we're not on the road traveling because we're spiritual giants. No, if anything, we have discovered that we are very, very weak and very, very vulnerable. Uh, we're very prone to fear and panic and, not, and doubt and all of those things. And, and my prayer was, Lord, this is too much. Lord, this is wonderful, but this is daunting. Lord, increase my faith. And one day I decided to look it up and where is that in the Bible? I know it's in the Gospels somewhere. Well, I found it, of course, here in Luke chapter 17. And as I looked into it, I was blessed, but also amazed by the context of that question and what Jesus' response was to the question. And we're going to dive into that uh, this morning. Luke chapter 17, I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and you can just follow along as I read. And I'll just give you some context starting in verse 1. Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come. But woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he cast into the sea, than, than that he should offend one of these little ones. By the way, aren't you glad that Jesus loves the little children? Uh, he is uh, the children's friend, and he, uh, he's, he's serious. Those who put a stumbling block in front of little children to cause them to turn aside, to turn against God from an early age. And isn't it a shame what our country has done? Uh, Satan is just going after the kids 
uh, thank God for every child in this place. If you're a mom, if you're a dad, if you're a grandma, bring them, haul them in here, get them to the church house because uh, Jesus loves them and uh, they need to be protected and, 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 and helped along in their faith. And God forbid anyone, even in this room, would undermine or hinder a child from turning to Jesus. Uh, verse 3 says, Take heed unto yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespass against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. And the apostles said unto the Lord, Increase our faith. Now, Jesus seems as though every time he opened his mouth, he said things that shocked people. Uh, his mind and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He's God. His, his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And over and over again, he said things that were surprising. If you want to lead, be a servant, right? If you want to go high, you're going to have to go low. Uh, Jesus's mindset is opposite to our natural thinking. And Jesus was often raising the bar of righteousness so high that he exasperated his audience. He's thinking, uh, they're thinking, okay, that's not reasonable. Forgive over and over and over and over again? Are we supposed to just be gullible? Are we supposed to let people walk all over us? This is not reasonable. And if this really is the standard, then I don't know anybody who's ever met that standard. Well, guess what? That's true. <laughs> Nobody has ever met the standard that Jesus set. Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, is all about Jesus raising the standard of true righteousness and showing the, the religious standard to be what it was. Total corruption. And yet, as they hear what Jesus says, all they can say is, I can't do that. I must need more faith. <laughs> I must need more faith so I can get there, because I'm not there yet. So it, it really is, as you read it, it's not a bad question. It's a good question. But as I kept reading, I was surprised by Jesus's answer to their question. Verse 5 again, the apostle said unto the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, wait, 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 stop. Did you catch that? They said, Lord, increase our faith. So they're starting with the assumption that they have some. They just need more. Jesus says, if you had faith, even a mustard seed side, a seed sized faith, you could say to the sycamore tree, wait a minute, wait a minute, what is he implying? <laughs> they don't even have mustard seed faith. They think they need more faith, and Jesus is saying, actually, no, you just need something called faith. Now, there is a sense in which our faith can grow, uh, and there's a, a whole discussion about what that means to have a faith that's growing, but when you boil faith down, faith is sort of like a light switch. It's on or it's off. You know, what's the opposite of faith? unbelief. The opposite of trust would be doubt, okay? You're either trusting or you're not trusting. You're either believing or you're not believing. You either have And we're going to pause just for a moment, ask the Lord to help, Lord's help, but let's ask the Lord to help us to increase our faith this morning, and the Lord has a unique answer to their question. Lord, help us now as we open your word. We've just got started, but Lord, we're just going to pause and ask you to open our eyes. Lord, because there's things that you want to do in our lives. Your, your word is beyond reach. Lord, we cannot live the way you want us to live without faith. Uh, they were right. They needed faith. But you had to adjust their mindset. Uh, Lord, there's things you want to do to liberate us from, from sins that beset us, from, from daunting, overwhelming uh, uh, giants that are, that are intimidating and, and causing us to fall back in unbelief. Lord, you want us to have faith that moves mountains. Lord, I pray that you'd do something in our hearts today that would destroy uh, the unbelief, that you would uh, produce in us this simple mustard seed faith. And Lord, that you get the glory for all that you do. 
Help me as I preach. Open our hearts. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So what is this mustard seed faith? You know, when, you, when they have the assumption, Lord, increase our faith, and then Jesus says, actually, uh, you're overselling yourselves. You, you don't need more faith. You can't have more of what you don't have. He just cut them off at the knees. Now, why would he do that? Well, you know, when they implied they already had some, they just needed more, Jesus is coming after them and revealing their prideful assumption. They had a prideful assumption. You know, we're pretty good. After all, we're the 12. <laughs> we're, we're not the riffraff. We're not the, the Pharisees. We're not the unbelievers. We are the 12. We've been chosen to follow the Messiah. So we've got some faith, obviously. And yet, when Jesus lifts up the standard, they fall back in unbelief and say, I can't do that. I guess I need more faith. Jesus says, no, you just need faith. You're either trusting or you're not. You're either believing or you're not. They had this prideful assumption that they were better off than they actually were. Isn't that natural? Isn't that the way we are born? Uh, you know, you can't even get saved until you come to this point of total awareness of your need. Uh, you do, if someone were to come to you and say, you know, I've been hearing the preaching I, I, I see what you guys have, and it, it sounds great, this thing about, about salvation, but I'm just not ready yet. You ask them, okay, well, what, what's wrong? I just think I need more faith. Are they saved or lost? Okay, they're lost, and, and they might even be on the journey. They're getting closer, but if they say, I need more faith, what they need to realize is actually you just need faith. The question would be, okay, so what are you trusting to get there? What are you trusting to, to measure up in God's eyes? And if you dig in, you're going to find that there's some other things they're depending on. They're not truly, solely, simply trusting in Christ. You know, a mustard seed is so tiny, and yet any kind of seed, when you study it, there is an actual embryo in that seed. An embryo. A little mini tree inside the seed. Everything that tree will need is there genetically it's all there it's just tiny but it's all there you know you don't get part of it you have to have the whole thing it's either faith or it's not now this is pointing out something about faith there's something about the power of the simplicity of faith that makes all the difference uh just a chapter later look turn to chapter 18 Chapter 18, starting in verse 15. I just love this. I can picture it in my mind. And they brought unto him also infants, or little children, that he would touch them. But when his disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not. For of such is the kingdom of God. I just love this picture of Jesus. I've got different pictures of Jesus in my mind. I can picture him on the, on the mountains teaching, can't you? Because I went to Sunday school. I saw, the, I saw the flannel graph, all right? Can you picture this? Uh, I can picture him on the side of the mountain. I can picture him, of course, walking on the sea. Uh, I think we can picture him on the cross. We can picture him maybe on the resurrection morning. But I love the picture of Jesus with the little children. Just climbing all over him getting on his lap, hanging on his back, pulling on his beard. You know, they're messing up his head. You know, doing what kids do. And Jesus just let it happen. He, he loves the little children, and children loved him. And let me just say as an aside, it's a good thing if kids aren't afraid of you. <laughs> you know, if you've got the love of Christ, they shouldn't run when, when they see you coming, all right? Uh, we're not all kid people. I understand that. But there's a, there's a wonderful charm about Jesus that even the children were safe and happy and secure with him. And yet, of course, his, his disciples thought they had to keep back the, the distracting little uh, snotty-nosed kids. Jesus stops all that, says, no, let them in. And then he says... For of such is the kingdom of God. Verse 17, Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child shall in no wise enter therein. Think about the biggest miracle you will ever experience. Some of you, I hope most of you, have experienced this miracle. 
It's called being born again. Salvation. Regeneration. Salvation. However you want to call it, it is being passed from death unto life. What kind of faith is required for that miracle? And whatever miracle you might see on this earth, it does not match the miracle of your salvation. Uh, when, when, the, when the disciples were out casting out demons and doing wonderful works, they came back to Jesus and they were just rejoicing and they were swapping stories about all the miracles and all the demons that were cast out. And Jesus says, well, that's great, but don't rejoice that the, that the, that the demons were subject unto you. Rather, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's the greatest miracle. And the greatest miracle you've ever experienced took what kind of faith? Childlike faith. I'll never forget, I was knocking doors uh, a few years back, and we got to a certain house, and a, an older gentleman came forward, very dignified looking, and he saw right away what we were up to. I hardly got the, got the gospel tracked into his hand before he said, no, 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 you're wasting your time with me. He, he, and he began to tell us, look, I am a retired professor. I've taught in the finest universities all around the globe. I have studied every religion, I've studied your Bible. I've read it several times. I know theology. And he said this, I know too much to trust in Jesus. And my heart broke for him. And I looked into his eyes and I said, look, Jesus actually said that unless you come to him with the heart of a child, in simple childlike faith, you can't come to him at all. I said, all of your knowledge, you're going to have to humble yourself and submit yourself to what the Bible says with the faith of a child. And he says, well, if that's the kind of faith I need, then there's no hope for me. And I would have said more, but he closed the door. We walked away, and I thought, you know what? He's got all this knowledge, but it doesn't take great knowledge. It takes simple, humble, childlike faith. The faith of a child where, where if they're up on, a, up on a ledge and daddy comes near, you say jump, and they say, okay, they just jump. They just assume daddy's going to catch you and not throw his back out, you know? They just assume it'll work out. Okay, here I go, woo, you know? And you got to be very careful with little kids because if you tell them something, they will believe it. Now, we can exploit that and get them all excited at Christmas time about a certain individual who, uh, well, we'll stop right there, but, um, you know, I don't know what you do about all that, but I like to tell my kids the truth, all right? Um, because they, I don't want them to start doubting me. I want them to believe the Word of God, too. I want them to have tender hearts. Now, look, if it takes simple, childlike faith to be saved, then it's not about the size of the faith. It's not about the maturity of the faith. It's not about how much doctrine you've got. It's about that simple, tender heart. Now, let's go back to chapter 17, because he keeps going. So the first thing he points out is their prideful assumption that they actually had faith, and it reveals that, no, what they need is this simple, pure, childlike faith, this mustard seed faith. And yet, he says... Verse 6 of chapter 17, the Lord said, If ye had faith as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto the sycamine tree, Be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. All right, so the second thing I see here is he's pointing out what faith actually does. Did you know that faith always does impossible things? Now, we can do a lot of possible things, humanly speaking. You got here today, you can drive home, and obviously we have to do all that we do by the power of God, but humanly speaking, can't you do a lot of things on your own? Can't lost people do a lot of things? Sure they can. But there are certain impossible things that only faith can do. Only faith can access the grace of salvation. It's impossible, but faith can do it. Everything that really counts is impossible. Two people becoming one and being godly and raising godly children with sin-cursed hearts in a sin-cursed world, guess what that is? That's impossible. But faith can do it. You know, this, this picture of a sycamore tree or a sycamine tree being ripped up by the roots and cast into the sea is so over-the-top ridiculous, 
you just about have to laugh to assume that Jesus would use that illustration. In fact, that's the kind of colorful, imaginative thing that I think one of my kids would come up with. Doesn't it seem over the top? To pick up a sycamore tree <laughs> and cast it into the water? Why did, Jesus, why did Jesus even use that illustration? Well, because it's impossible and foolish. You know, faith does those impossible and seemingly foolish things. And faith does the kind of thing that only a childlike faith would even think of. Walking across the water is foolish. It takes some sort of simple childlike faith to do that. Uh, Moses leading people into, <laughs> into the water as it's been parted before, that takes some sort of simple, foolish gullible, childlike kind of faith. I mean, who would do that? I guarantee you there are lots of folks who held back. They were going to go first, but they thought, I'm going to go last. I'm going to let somebody else test this first. And then they went along. I don't know who, I don't know who charged in first. Probably the kids. Probably the kids. Oh, look, look, faith does impossible things. And let's think about this sycamine tree. I did a little looking and a little digging, and you can research this as well. It's a kind of sycamore tree. It is actually called a sycamine tree. Um, it's a massive tree with twisted uh, root-like trunk, just a big mass of wood. It grows tall, but it grows wider and wider and wider, and the branches overhang and just block out the sun. Anything you want to grow underneath it isn't going to grow. And on top of that, it's got one of the largest root systems of any tree. They don't blow over. Uh, they don't, <laughs> you can't pluck them up. In fact, they were pests. You did not want a sycamine tree growing near your house because they would rain this little fig-like fruit. It was a black, bitter fruit, like a fig, but it was, it was barely edible. And the Bible actually talks about eating the bitter fruits. Have you heard that phrase? Very likely it comes from this kind of tree because the fruits would just fall like rain and just hit the ground and rot. And if you were on the very bottom rung of society and you were eating out of garbage cans and you were starving to death, you might be reduced to eating the bitter fruit. And you had to eat it in such small portions because if you ate too much, you would vomit or even die. It was that bad. And yes, there were people who lived that way, and they were having to eat the bitter fruit from that sycamine tree. If you had one growing near your house, you probably could wish that you could rip it out and throw it into the sea. It would drop wood constantly. You're constantly cleaning. Anybody have a tree you're always cleaning up for? Isn't that frustrating? All it does is make work and trouble and bitter fruit, and it kills the grass, and it, and it just gets bigger. And also, because of the way the roots are, if you were to try to actually cut it down, it would grow right back. It can't die. It just sprouts right out of the stump. In fact, many of the sycamore and sycamine species are still there, very likely the ones that Jesus walked by and looked at. They're old they just won't go away. But faith does impossible things. You know, I don't know if you remember this, Jonathan, but remember the time, uh, I believe it was uh, Grandma Barber had this tree in the back. It dropped plums, I believe. Was it plums? Remember that? Okay, so it was one of these fruit trees that nobody ate from. I think they were all worm-ridden, and it was just in the backyard, and it constantly dropped plums. I remember we were very little, and we could run around and slide in the plum goo. Okay, literally. Slide to Grandma's house, covered with not mud, but plum rot. It was disgusting. And we're ready to come inside and have some of Grandma's cookies. It was like, oh, no, 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 no. Let's get those shoes off. Let's get those pants off. Because it was gross. I wouldn't want a sycamine tree in my backyard. I'd want to get rid of it. Well, let's turn the corner here. Every single one of us has sycamine trees growing in our lives. And they just won't go away. They shouldn't be there, but they're there. 
There are marriages in this room, and, and you might even be here together and singing together. By the way, that's a victory. Praise God for that. It's a blessing. But you might say, yeah, but you don't know what it's like at home, and you don't know the trouble in my heart. You don't know the trouble in my husband's heart. You don't know the trouble in our marriage. And, and you know, there's this sycamore tree of, of sin or this sycamore tree of bitterness, and there's this sycamore tree of, of all some sort of unmovable addiction, and it's, it's just dropping its bitter fruit everywhere. And we just have to get used to it. We just have to step in it. We just have to mow around it. You know, in, in our area in, in Indiana, it's a lot of farmland, and, and uh, there's one particular area I was driving by, and there's this big, beautiful field. Um, well, I think it was corn, and, but right in the middle of it is this big oak tree, all by itself. Big developed, mature oak tree, you know, nothing near the oak tree, just an oak tree in the middle of the cornfield. And I've often thought to myself, how did that happen? I don't know why that oak tree is there, but I guarantee you the farmer wishes it wasn't there. He has to always <laughs> go around it, always. Maybe at one point it was a little sprout, maybe somebody just kind of ignored it, it was easy to plow around it, but eventually a couple seasons later, it's a tree, and nobody ever bothered to, to, to hack it down, and now it's just this big massive tree in the middle of the field, and you're just going to have to live with it. Maybe there's some impossible things in our lives that childlike faith could cure. Maybe God wants some of those impossible things to be solved. Say, oh boy, I don't have the faith for that. See, I've, I've, I've tried this, I've tried that, I've walked the aisle, I've wept, I've prayed. You know, I just can't believe God anymore. And I, I've tried to pray before. I just, I, I just need more faith. Well, maybe the Lord says, no, maybe we need a pure faith. Maybe we need just that simple faith that God says does impossible things. I don't know what this church is up to. I know a little bit. I know there's some exciting things on the horizon, potential building plans and all of that. There's some impossible things on the horizon for this church. Wouldn't it be great to have some of this kind of faith, this simple child, childlike faith, to see God do miracles? But you know, those sycamore trees, they mock our faith. We come to church, we sing about a great big God. And we go home and there's that same old sin, it won't go away. It just sits there and mocks us. I guess I'm bigger than your God. I guess you're going to have to live with me. And we start to think those thoughts. Well, I guess God, God can help somebody else. I guess some other marriage can be saved. I guess somebody, somebody else's kids and grandkids can go on for God, but my kids, I don't know if my kids will ever turn around. I don't know how to get through to them, and I don't know how I can ever see that happen in my life. And the unbelief starts to set in. And the sycamore tree grows bigger. Do you have any impossible things in your life? Now, I understand we understand there's a battle to be won. And it's not as simple as praying one little magic prayer and poof. But the point is the simple childlike faith is what's needed. And I believe oftentimes God will, 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 will stretch our faith and break it down and rebuild it again. I've been through that many times. And, and, and part of the problem is not that he wants to discourage our faith, but he wants to humble us. Because that's where this all drives to, because he continues in chapter 17 uh, to show through a parable or through a story what he's talking about. And, and once again, Jesus often surprises me by his reasoning. So many people say, uh, I know Jesus or I know the Lord. I hope that you know the Lord, but do you really know him? What's he like? What does Jesus think like? What are his speech patterns? We don't know all of it. We have, we, have, we have a lot of it here. A while back, I began to read the Gospels saying, Lord, I want to know what you're like. I want to think like you. So we have this question, Lord, Lord increase our faith. Jesus kind of cuts him off of the knees and says, actually, you don't even have mustard seed faith. Because if you do, you could do impossible things. And then he tells a parable that seems to be unrelated. <laughs> but it's not. So look at verse 7. 
But which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him by and by, when he is come from the field, Go and sit down to meat? And will not rather say unto him, Make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself, and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and afterward thou shalt eat and drink. Doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I trow not. <laughs> I don't think so. Now here's the analogy. He says, look, if you're, a, if you're a landowner and you've got a hired servant, they're out there working and plowing and they're, they're doing all this labor and they're taking care of your cattle. Are you going to see them out there and say, wow, you're doing such a great job. Why don't you come in and sit at the family dining room and, and join us for supper? Now, our Christian heart and mind would say, well, that'd be a nice thing to do. <laughs> but, but in that day and age, was it done? It was, it was unthinkable that the master would treat the servant as though he had done him a favor. And so keep reading. Verse 9, doth he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded of him? I trow not. So likewise ye, when ye shall have done all those things which are commanded of you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which is our duty to do. In other words, that person out there in the field, their right response, if they were invited to dinner, <laughs> would be to say, oh, no, 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 master, no, please, it's our honor to serve you. We're just glad to be serving our king, our master. Please don't embarrass us. We're not worthy to sit at your table. We've simply done our duty. Now, that response, to me, expresses humility. True humility. They're just glad to serve the master. They don't need praise. They don't need special treatment. They don't need thank yous. They don't need honor. They just are so thankful for the privilege of serving. What a sweet childlike attitude that would be. A humble heart. And yet, why, this, why the story? Jesus was pointing out their prideful assumption that they, they thought they were doing pretty good and he gives an illustration about humility. You see, where do you find this childlike faith? Where do you find this simple mountain-moving faith? It comes from the heart of a humble servant. And I believe this is where we begin to lose the childlike faith. We get saved we come to church, we start to grow, we learn the word, which is wonderful. We get our minds and hearts filled with the word. We begin to serve. And at some point, we start to feel as though we're worthy of, of a little bit of recognition. Uh, you know, we're worthy of, 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 of a pat on the back. Uh, we begin to compare ourselves one to another, and, 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 and that, that sense of self-righteousness slips back in. I mean, think about this, this servant. He's out there in the field, bitter. Man, I'm doing all the work. He lives in the big house. He eats all the food that I grow. That isn't right. By the way, is that attitude still out there today? Uh, this whole, you know, anyway. Uh, it's universal, isn't it? That's what communism feeds and, and, and so that you can devour one another. That's what it's all about. But here he is. How dare he live in that big house? He should invite me to dinner. That attitude stinks. And he might be the hardest person, the hardest working laborer in the field, but that's not the heart where you'll find faith. What kind of person can get saved? You'll say, anybody. Well, true. But just hold on to your horses. Not everybody can be saved. What? Now, don't put that sound bite online. Hold on. Anybody could be saved, but the Bible says God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. You know, the gospel message is not just good news, it's also bad news. It's saying, you're a sinner, you've sinned against a holy God, you're worthy of eternal separation in a place called hell. And the heart of the self-righteous sinner says, well, I'm not that bad. <laughs> and they say, I'm not worthy of hell. Sure, I've done a few things. As long as they have that, I'm okay, I just need to be better mindset. They can't be saved. As long as we're a Christian who says, well, you know, I, I've got a little bit of faith, and I do this, I do that, I, I bring my family to church, and I've got a ministry, and I've got this, and yet the fact is, you don't have the faith anymore to see victory over sin. 
You've given up on that. You've no longer, you don't have the faith anymore to really see your marriage healed. You've just decided we're both going to kind of live with this. Hopefully we can hang on until the kids are older. But you know, I'm a pretty good Christian. I believe the Bible. We're all in church singing together, most of us. We lost Johnny. And I don't know if we'll ever get him back. And so there's these mountains, there's these sycamore trees of sin and unbelief, and, and we think, well, I've got a little bit of faith, but man, I, we begin to give up. We don't realize there's a real problem, not just of unbelief, but down deep, there's a problem of pride. There's a problem of self-righteousness. Now look back to chapter 9, because you're going to notice that these disciples were constantly obsessed with self and status. Look at chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, verse 46. Oh, before I read verse 46, I have to give you just a couple verses of context. Verse 44, Jesus says, Let these sayings sink down into your ears. Now that's quite a wind-up for what he's about to say. Jesus often said, verily, verily, I say unto you. Well, this is a new one. Let these sayings sink down into your ears. What sayings? For the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. By the way, repeatedly he tried to let that sink into their ears. Did they get it? They were shocked when he died. They didn't know about the resurrection. They forgot all about it. Jesus told them over and over what he was going to do. He said, let it sink into your ears. It's about to happen. But, verse 45, they understood not this saying, because it, and it was hid from them that they perceived it not, and they feared to ask him of, of that saying. By the way, another thing. Um, if you fear to ask a question, you're probably proud. They were tired of looking stupid. <laughs> They were tired of asking silly questions. And they were, they were still too full of self-righteousness to even admit they didn't know what he was talking about. But in the next verse, we find out why their minds were blinded. Then there arose a reasoning among them, which of them should be the greatest? And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him. And said unto them, Whosoever shall receive this child in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive, whosoever shall receive me receiveth him that sent among you. For he that is least among you, the same shall be great. Here he is predicting the They don't get it. Why? They're over here comparing who's more important. Am I being recognized? They've got self and riches, and fame, and personal advancement. After all, this is the Messiah. They did not want to believe about the cross. They were looking forward to being part of this new bureaucracy. And they were going to be big shots. You know, it's so easy to think about following Christ and attach to that economic and American freedom and all these earthly blessings, isn't it? And I, hey, I'm an American. I want all those things, don't you? <laughs> Economic blessings are nice. Freedom is wonderful. We ought to pray for it. We ought to vote for it. All that is good, but many times that's what we really want. Go over to Matthew very quickly. You'll see another angle of this because we've got to get this. Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, starting at verse 17. Once again, and Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the 12 disciples apart in the way. So he took them aside for a special teaching. He took them apart. Verse 18, behold, we go up to Jerusalem. Now, this is the final warning before the Passion Week. It's getting really close. Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be, shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. Can you get any more plain than that? 
They didn't hear a word of it. Verse 20. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and, desire, and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons... Don't you just love this lady? <laughs> She's just incredible. <sighs> Grant that these my two sons may sit the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. They had no idea what they were signing up for. He saith unto them, Ye shall indeed drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but... To sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given uh, to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Because, not because they couldn't believe they did it, but because they wanted that job. They were just moved that they had the gall to get their mother involved. <laughs> How dare they bring in mom Zebedee? This is crazy. How dare they? All they could think about was themselves. You go back just a couple chapters to, ch to Matthew chapter 16. You'll see it again. Matthew chapter 16. Je uh, Jesus just finished giving Peter the attaboy. Good job, Peter. Why? Because Peter had said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And just a couple moments later, it appears in the, in the context, Jesus begins to tell them. Verse 21, from this time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. Why? For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. What kills our faith? Why don't we have this simple childlike faith? Are kids worried about the stock market? Mm -mm. Are they wondering how daddy's going to pay the bills? Mm -mm. Little kids, no. They have a simple little life. Sometimes I envy my kids. Like, wow, <laughs> your life is so simple. But you know, that's what, it's just a simple joy. And, and they don't know about all the trouble in the world. And all they, it's just a simple faith. But you know what? As you get older, all of a sudden you're focused on all these earthly things. This becomes your world, right? And yet we're born into another world where we get saved. This is not our world. We're strangers here. And somehow, as we are plowing in this field, we start to think, wow, this is all what it's about. And I'm working hard. And I'm laboring for my master. And I should have a little bit of, of comfort in this life. And I should have some reward in this life. And pretty soon, we don't have that simple humility. We've got something more complex. Something more mature. Isn't it sad that we mature right out of faith? It's not real maturity. Now, in some ways, it's maturity. We know more Bible. We have more experience. But one thing I'm learning is, Lord, the more I grow in, my, in the Word, the more I grow as, as, a, as a Christian, Lord, don't let me lose that childlike faith. Because everything works against it. Our brains work a, mile, a, a thousand miles a minute trying to solve all of our problems. And yes, we do start comparing we start saying, well, this person has those blessings, and this person got those blessings. You know, he gets to sit at the table. Why don't I get to sit at the table? You know, the ironic thing here, if you think about it, Jesus is the master that we serve, right? And he actually has invited us to sit at his table. <laughs> think of that. If you're saved here, don't you get to serve him? Isn't that a privilege? He also calls you child, son. He calls you friend. He actually does. He, 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 he breaks protocol and he brings the servant right. But we don't deserve to be there. And our heart cry ought to be, oh Lord, 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 
Lord, I am so thankful to serve you. I don't want recognition. I just want to be faithful. I want to plow. I want to serve. I'm willing to sweat. I'm willing to get muddy. I'm willing to, to sacrifice because it's, it's the least I could do in light of what you've done for me. It's the least I could do. And that humble servant with that tender, childlike heart, I'm convinced that the Holy Spirit will find that heart. He'll give you a little nugget of truth. And you'll look over at that sycamine tree with childlike faith and say, Lord, that shouldn't be there. Lord, you're bigger than that tree. <laughs> Lord, there's no reason I did. I, I don't need to have this addiction in my life. Lord, you're bigger than that. Lord, I, I, I'm going to believe your word. And God begins to give you that childlike faith. I'm convinced that when, if God sends an awakening to this country, which we desperately need, he's going to find some country preacher that no one's ever heard of. He's going to find a little congregation. They won't even know what all the Bible's talking about. All they know is they're saved. He'll find that little tiny country church, and that'll be where the gully washer comes from. God will pour it out. Why? Because he's going to find some simple, humble hard-working servants who want all the glory to go to God. They're not consumed with this world. They're looking forward to that. They don't want the glory. They died to get the glory. And the Lord says, ah, oh, now that's my little childlike heart. That's the simple faith I want. I'm going I'm I'm to nudge him in the right direction. I'm going to give him the word. I'm going to, because look, Faith is our response, right? But somehow the Holy Spirit's involved with that. He's involved in, in helping us and leading us to know what to pray for as we ought. Amen? Right? We can't just pick any old thing. I'm not talking about name it, claim it. But who, who can God lead? Who can he lead to pray with that kind of childlike, mountain-moving faith? Not the average mature Christian. Not me most of the time. I know too much. Most of the time, I'm thinking too much about myself. You know, God's going to find that new Christian. God's going to find that broken Christian. The one who's failed. God will stir up faith in that heart. Because, you know, faith is just the heart cry of a broken heart. A heart that says, Lord, you're great. I'm small. You can do it, Lord. We're usually like the 10 spies, you know, the 12 that went out to spy out Cain, and the 10 came back with, you know, charts and graphs, you know, a whole syllabus of why they could not go. The giants are too big. We are exactly grasshoppers in their sight. You know, they had the whole thing. No, we can't do it. But Joshua and Caleb had that simple childlike heart, and they said, what's the big deal, guys? Ah, be quiet, you morons. Be quiet. That's ridiculous. Get them out of here. Bunch of children. I think we all know that revival can't come until our hearts are broken. And that might be because there's no real faith without humble hearts. But what's at stake? Are your kids and grandkids going to be mowing around that same tree? Is that bitterness going to stay for generations? Is that addiction going to keep on dropping its fruit? And everybody that knows you has to step in it? Is that marriage going to eventually fracture and blow apart? Because after all, I guess some things are too big for God. Are we going to stop praying because, well, some people just get too far and, you know, I've tried every, I can, everything I can try and... How many sycamore trees will stay until our hearts are broken? Lord, increase our faith, but really, Lord, cultivate in my heart that simple, childlike, impossible, miracle-working faith. That's what I want. That's what we need. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We're not preaching a name it, claim it thing here. We know that there's a 
often a process to see things done. But Lord, you do miracles. You can do miracles. You're bigger than the sycamine tree growing in someone's life. The problem is our hearts, full of pride, full of worldly concerns, full of sophisticated unbelief. Lord, you're looking for that sweet, childlike, wide-eyed, tender-hearted faith. Someone who's willing to serve and serve and serve and never be seen and give you all the glory. Lord, find the least among us and do a miracle through them. But Lord, make me that one. Lord, break down our pride. Lord, there's much at stake. Our children need to see some sycamore trees removed. This church needs to see mountains leveled and seas parted. Lord, this church needs to see it. Lord, your glory is at stake. Forgive us for unbelief and forgive us for the pride that hinders that childlike faith. Lord, show us the mountains that you want to move. Lord, show us the sins that need to be not just forgiven, but ripped out. Break our hearts, Lord, for the comparison, for the worldly mind, for the, for the obsession with the earthly things. Do the work that only you can do, we pray in Jesus' name. With heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe there's someone that would say, you know, Brother Barber, God showed me there's a sick mind tree, there's a, there's a real issue in my life. I know it shouldn't be there. And I want God to stir up in me that real, simple, childlike faith. I want to see that sycamine tree removed from my life. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Amen. There's a big, big miracle I need to see it happen in my life. Amen. You can put those hands down. Maybe there's someone that would say, Brother Barbara, God showed me there's something hindering. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's worldliness. Maybe it's comparison. But you say, I realize I can see God showed me some things that are hindering that childlike faith. Pray for me. Would you raise your hand? Many hands. Amen. This final, final question is just for maybe one or two in this room. I don't know, maybe more. Maybe someone would say, you know, Brother Barber, I don't know that I've ever been saved. If I died now, I don't know at all. I have no confidence that I'd be in heaven. I'm not sure I'm saved pray for me. Would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Anyone? All right, I see two hands. All right. I'm not sure that I'm saved. Anyone else? Now, if you just raised your hand for salvation, I see that as well. I would encourage you after the service to go talk to pastor and let him know that you're interested in knowing how to be saved. You can even come forward during the invitation and we'll have someone show you from the Bible how to be saved. Lord, you saw these hands. Now, Lord, do a miracle now. Do a miracle now in our hearts. Over, overthrow the unbelief and do miracles in our lives. Lord, for these that need assurance of salvation, would you help them to make a decision today that would change their eternity? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.